So here we go. The sermon series, I will tell you the titles actually matter to this sermon series. My titles usually don't matter. They're just sort of like an afterthought. Uh, but in a lot of ways, our, our titles are framing uh, our sermon series uh, this, uh, this semester because some of the ideas that we're trying to get across are going to be, for some of you, very, very new. And you're going to have to really think through, and maybe even more importantly than think through, begin to try to practice some of the things that we're talking about in this series. Uh, the reason I'm starting with the topic that I'm starting with today is because this will be one of our major themes throughout our entire series, okay? And the sermon title is simply Experiencing the Spirit, okay, Experiencing the Spirit. And then, you know, because I think in terms of like, oh, that's not enough information, it just needs to look like a book title, uh, colon, Knowing and having the Spirit isn't enough. So experiencing the Spirit, <clears throat> knowing and having the Spirit isn't enough. Uh, and this is primarily speaking to those of you who didn't grow up in a, a Pentecostal background, although I would say that if you did, your experience of the Spirit, depending on your upbringing could have been very narrow or it could have been very rich and broad. Uh, but uh, for many of us who grew up in a non-Pentecostal denomination or no denomination at all, the Spirit is really seriously kind of like an afterthought to Christianity. And that's super unfortunate because that is the uh, primary person of the Godhead that we interact with in our lives. And while we pray to God and we pray to the Father and don't spend a lot of time talking about the Spirit or praying to the Spirit, uh, we do ourselves a disservice, particularly in our ability to experience God on a daily, weekly, kind of personal and individual and corporate level. And one of the things that I consistently hear, and some of this has to do with our background, I think, but some of it just has to do with uh, where we're at in terms of Christianity, is people talking about not really sensing or feeling the presence of God. And while certainly I'm not at all distilling experience down into a feeling, that we have a feeling of God's presence, that is not what experience means. Too often, postmodernism has kind of encouraged us to elevate our feelings and our senses over and above uh, anything else as a means to determining whether something is right or true or whatever else. By experiencing the Spirit, that is not what I mean, that we feel the Spirit's presence necessarily. Um, I think sensing the Spirit's presence might be a better way of, of seeing that, but even then, it's kind of cloudy. And so one of the things that we're going to talk about throughout this series is what does it look like to really experience the Spirit of God? in our lives, one-on-one, -on -one, corporately, what does that look like? And knowing that the Spirit exists and works and even having the Spirit of God inside of us is simply not enough. We must experience the Spirit um, to really uh, you know, experience the things that God has for us in this life. J.I. Packer, uh, who is um, just a, a great theologian and uh, longtime Christian thinker, and is a name that you might want to write down if you're interested in um, really a, a variety of different topics in Christianity because he's just a really great thinker and he writes a lot of great stuff. But he has two challenges for us in uh, 
thinking about the Holy Spirit, and I love them, and so I'm going to repeat them too and not at all pretend like they come from me. Number one, he says, you can't ask yourself, do you have the Spirit? The better question is, does he have you? Okay, so number one, you can't ask yourself, do you have the Spirit? And what he means in part there is that all Christians have the Spirit of God. Okay? And so the question of do I have the Spirit is really not as significant a question unless you're asking yourself a salvation question which then you know, brings up a whole other topic that we'll talk about later on. But ultimately, all Christians have the Spirit of God. The real question is, does he have you? One of the things that Pentecostalism has really, I think, done well and been very successful in is reminding Christians that there's a life after salvation. <laughs> and not only that, but that salvation itself is not a moment or a time period, but rather is an ongoing process of the Spirit in our lives. And, and a lot of Pentecostals, while they use language, maybe sometimes it's off-putting things like being baptized in the Spirit uh, or uh, insert a number of other sort of... <sighs> What amounts to, in my mind, and I think at, at its best intention, is a recognition that many of us have that at some point we move beyond just identifying as a Christian and actually become one with God in our fellowship. In other words, we get serious about our faith. And a lot of you have had that experience. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. For many of you, coming to college and being a part of our campus ministry is the time you really got serious about your faith. Well, Serious about your faith isn't really a biblical term or a biblical terminology. But not quenching the Spirit and walking by the Spirit is. And that's ultimately, to me, one and the same idea. And so if at some point you've gotten serious about your faith, in essence what you've done is you've paid attention to the Spirit working inside of you. Finally you're beginning to hear the promptings and the movement and, uh, and, and responding to those things. Well, that's not you. You didn't just wake up one morning and you're like, all right, today's the day to get serious. Nothing else in life looks as good in terms of on the horizon, so might as well do this Christian thing for a while. That's the prompting of the Spirit in every Christian to say, hey, at some point you're going to have to wake up and recognize I'm kind of at the helm here. You've got to kind of transition out of that old way of life, which is talked about a lot in the Old Testament and New Testament and Paul's thinking, and into this new way of life, all right? So, walking by the Spirit, one of my favorite um, little nuggets of audio, that was a really strange way of saying that, uh, whatever, two or three minute uh, um, clip of uh, J.I. Packer's talk on the Holy Spirit, which is a really long talk, uh, and I posted this on the Facebook page, so somewhere you can scroll down and find this, it's like way far down, because this was probably six months ago, eight months ago, I don't know, maybe I'll repost it, maybe someone can find it and repost it, or re-share it, or put a period mark in the comment so that it refreshes. Bumped it up. Yeah, right? Okay. Um, and he explains this way better than I do, so it's very good for you to like listen to it yourself. And that is that he takes the Isaiah 40 and verse 3 passage, one that some of us are familiar with, where we're soaring wings like eagles, you know, run and not grow faint or weary, I don't remember, and, and walk and not grow faint or weary. I don't remember which one's which, okay? It's hard to remember. Both you don't get faint or weary, all right? Um, and he talks about this as a great metaphor for walking in the Spirit. 
He says, you know, when we first come to faith or when we have these amazing spiritual experiences, we're soaring on wings like eagles. Life is just sort of effortless for us. We're just moving, all right? And when, even when we're running, maybe there's an event in our life that's serious or something going on and people surround us. You know, you think about someone just running on the side of the road. You know, we have a, ten, we have a, a tendency to pay attention to runners. I mean, they're running. They're doing movement. It's just kind of like, yeah, okay, what's going on here? But, but it's interesting that the Bible uses the term walking in the Spirit. And according to G.I. Packer, what, what he ultimately says here is it's the walking in the Spirit where the Spirit is most present and, and obvious in our life. It's the most mundane thing where no one else is watching us, no one else is paying attention, because a person walking is boring. No one's just watching a person walk, okay? People aren't around us. People aren't noticing us. And it's in those walking moments that the Spirit is most at present and most alive in all of the mundane things uh, we do, whether someone else is looking at us, paying attention to us or not, there's the Spirit at every juncture, choice, decision, moment uh, in our lives. And that's how the, the Spirit is presented in uh, the Scripture, as constantly being aware and active, even when else, uh, no one else is sort of looking. We have this sense, but most of us sense this as God sort of peering into our secret lives, uh, every now and again, just sort of turning on his little something vision into our secret space just to kind of randomly do checks on us. Um, we think about it like that rather than thinking about it as the Spirit of God actually residing in us and knowing us deeply and well, uh, as Paul would say, more than anybody else does and more than we know ourselves. And so walking by the Spirit. Uh, do you walk by the Spirit of God? We're going to talk about this a lot more as we move forward, particularly when we talk about sin and this whole battle of walking by the Spirit or walking in the flesh. Uh, which, uh, you know, great. All right, so the second question he says, and I think this one is uh, really, really important, maybe more so than the first one because it's not maybe how we think about the Spirit's work. And he just says, we don't need to be asking ourselves, do you know the Spirit? of God, okay, because the Spirit wants us to know Christ. So one of the challenges with New Testament theology on the Spirit is the Spirit seems kind of like this hidden character, kind of. And one of the primary reasons the Spirit is a hidden character is because the Spirit's ministry, according to Jesus, is to shine a light on who Jesus is. J.I. Packer calls this the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit isn't supposed to draw attention to his miracles and his workings and his, you know, this and that. But actually, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life is to remind us of and teach us how to be like Christ. A lot of us, and this might seem like an insignificant point here, but many of us think we can look at Jesus apart from the Spirit and just generally get a good idea of how to live. If you grew up particularly in a cessational type church where the Spirit's movement and work just wasn't a thing, or a thing of the past, then this can absolutely uh, be one of your ways of thinking. And, and it, it, it undoubtedly, which we'll talk about in a moment, leads to this sort of extreme legalism of, of trying to be like Jesus. The problem is plenty of people have misinterpreted Jesus and misfollowed him, not to mention Paul. And without the Spirit of God, we have no hope of becoming like Jesus. None. You won't learn enough about Jesus. You won't experience enough about his deepest mysteries without the Spirit of God. And guys, this comes directly from Jesus' mouth. I gave you John 14 through 16 last week as a great place to start 
for looking at how Jesus sees the Spirit's ministry. Also talked last week about the whole drawing and building thing, that, that God's plan of one-on-one ministry is carried out through the Spirit's very presence in our life. God is working on us one-on-one. In the same way that a person would sit across from us and do one-on-one mentorship or ministry. It's a really crazy idea, and yet we just don't think like that. We tend to think of God as sort of, you know, like a distant parent that every now and again comes in, you know, on the big deals and wants to make a statement or say something. But he's doing one-on-one ministry through the Spirit, in our hearts and in our minds on a daily basis and knows far more about us than that person sitting across from us who's our mentor and has experienced a whole lot more with us than that person who has a pretty decent insight of who we are. That's the Spirit's ministry. It's not so much a question as much as a statement. It's, it's, it's not, we shouldn't be asking those questions, do you know the Holy Spirit? Uh, because the, the Spirit wants us to know Christ better. That, that walking in the Spirit and knowing and following Christ are absolutely intertwined and completely inseparable. You will never come to a knowledge of Jesus apart from the Spirit's work inside of you. No amount of study, right? Because this was the problem. When the Pharisees didn't recognize Jesus, they didn't recognize Jesus because they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them, at least not as a promised thing. And so Jesus is just missed entirely by them. In John 5 and 39, you study these scriptures to try to figure out who God is, but somehow you miss God's character completely because when God comes and shows you in the most easy and and, uh, efficient expression of who he is, you don't even recognize him. But without the Spirit of God, we have no hope of following Jesus or building the kind of character Uh, that Jesus had. Jesus himself was reliant upon the Spirit of God, which creates this really interesting, difficult, um, you know, Trinitarian theological conundrum. That's what I'll call it, uh, because it's difficult. But these are the two things that that we've got to be careful of. And I think as we move forward, this will become maybe um, more clear to you, but I think you've got to keep these in the back of your mind. So, uh, not do you have the Spirit, but does he have you? This idea that are you really walking in the Spirit? And if you don't know what that means, or if that's a cliche phrase for you, uh, then there's probably a good chance that you have some room to grow in walking by the Spirit. Okay? If you don't really quite recognize, well, what does that even look like? What does that mean? There's probably lots of room for us to grow. And as young people, that's probably okay, that we have plenty of room to grow in learning how to walk by the Spirit. And obviously, we're going to for the rest of the series, try to unearth some of those ideas and what does that even mean. And two, you know, uh, not do you know the Spirit? And this seems a little bit of a weird thing because I know particularly most of us don't talk like this, but in in some ways, J.I. Packer is particularly targeting Pentecostals who talk about the Spirit as this sort of separate entity from Jesus completely and that the Spirit somehow has this personality and personhood that doesn't ultimately lead us back to Jesus. And it is a real problem. If you know Pentecostals or if you've been around Pentecostals, uh, there's this tendency very, very quick in faith to sort of emphasize the Spirit over all others and, and really not reflect the character of Jesus in their lives. Because they're so ate up and focused on 
uh, experiencing the Spirit. In the same way, we're ate up and focused on obeying the Word, which is literally impossible without the Spirit's guidance in our life. Because otherwise, the Word becomes for us law, legal code. It's not freeing, it's enslaving us again. And not walking by the Spirit is living a legalistic life. You're just following rules. You're doing all the same stuff that other religions tell you to do. Follow some rules and hope that God's happy with you at the end. But God doesn't set us up like that. He says there's no way you're going to be able to follow the rules. It's not that we're getting away from the law code. We're actually making it so much bigger and, and full of even more laws. But luckily, you don't have to worry about living according to the law. But because you guys have the Spirit of God inside of you, and walking by the Spirit means that you will live as I've planned for you to live all along. And it's very freeing, but it can be very confusing at times. So it's a floodlight ministry. The Spirit ultimately takes us back to Jesus. Because remember, the Father in the Old Testament and the Spirit in the New Testament, neither one was God's intention for a full expression of who he is. Paul says, uh, and Jesus says this as well, Jesus is the image of God. For us, which makes sense because we're human, Jesus is the best, best place to start and end for an understanding of who God is. We try to reconcile Jesus with the Old Testament, you know, creator or the, or the spirit or whatever way around we're going to get in trouble because Jesus is always the starting and ending place. And we'll talk a little bit more about this, sort of some of the Trinitarian complications that come from this a little bit later on because, uh, well, you know, that's overwhelming to just start with. But, you know, if the Trinity is very confusing to you, uh, you know, good, it should be very confusing because it is very confusing. And at points makes a, not much sense. Uh, and so we've got to deal with that and be okay with it uh, and then work from there. All right, so what does it even mean, this idea of experiencing the Spirit? Because this is going to be a big theme. I want you guys to be thinking about this both one-on-one, but maybe, maybe even more importantly, corporately, because as I mentioned a couple weeks back, when we think about the Spirit of God, we think about His primary intention is to make us holy, individual people holy. And that is not the Spirit's primary motivation in us. In fact, it's a byproduct of the Spirit's work. Jesus says the two main things that the Spirit does, and I'm going to add two here, are drawing people to God and building up uh, the people of the church. And along the way, in both of those activities of drawing and building or making and maturing, as we tend to talk about it, undoubtedly the Spirit is going to make us holy or make us more like God, but that's not the focus. If we distill the Spirit into this sort of like one-on-one holiness maker, you know, this guidebook for how to be a really good dude or lady, we miss the majority of what the Spirit's agenda is because then we make it our own agenda, which is I want to be better or good or feel better, or whatever our ideas are. But that's not the Spirit's agenda. You'll become like God in terms of your character as the Spirit works in these other agenda areas. So draws, we talked about that last time, builds, in terms of our fruits. One thing that we'll talk about a little bit later as well is we'll talk about how he gifts us. Again, to give a wonderful example of how much we individualize the Spirit's work within us, most of us talk about spiritual gifts as being these individual things that we're just sort of good at. And I think what we're probably messing up is recognizing that God also created our personality and our competencies, and that doesn't mean those are spiritual gifts. Because I have a mathematic mind doesn't mean that I have the gift of administration, okay? Or because I'm a compassionate person doesn't mean that I have the gift of service. And I know we all love to take those gifting, you know, surveys and, 
not like the Myers-Briggs personality test where we're like, you know, what Hogwarts uh, house are you a part of? <laughs> but when it comes to spiritual gifting, that's not really the focus, is not on psychological and individual uniqueness. The gifting is all about service to the body and arguably service to the body when they're gathered, which is super weird because I don't even know if any of us have any framework for that at all. I don't think any of us come here on a Sunday morning and think, I've been gifted to administrate this morning. I'm going to do it. But that seems to be what Paul is talking about when he talks about the spiritual gifts in the gathered community. And I mean, if we work out from there and say, well, that's that, it's more than just that, that's fine, but we at least have to start there. What we're starting with is, the, is so far off from what Paul was talking about that people are individually gifted in these ways, which again, often has the focus on me as an individual, and thank goodness I have the gift of whatever you like having the gift of, okay? Where you can feel more and more unique as an individual, you know, because you have that gift. I mean, in all honesty, if I'm thinking about the gifts here, I'm thinking probably in accordance with how God normally works, I'm thinking he's probably going to gift us in areas we're actually not very good at at all. Because otherwise, why would the gifting be necessary? If we already have a personality or a competency in that area, why exactly would we need a gifting in it? Perhaps one of the biggest things about when we gather as a people is the Spirit actually gifts us to get outside of of our own agenda and our own self to be able to help people in ways that we never thought was possible for us, for me. I'm just doing it. Here I am. This is the Spirit's work inside of me. Okay? And so we'll, we'll address that later on. But I don't want to talk about any of those things. Because they do that, yes, but my, my biggest, uh, uh, my, my, okay, so now if I'm going to say one point, here's my one point. So he draws, he builds, he, he gifts, we'll talk about those later on, I've already talked about them some. But those are all activities, and we like activity as a society. We enjoy doing stuff and pointing to how things have been done and how efficient they are and checking off how pre- you know, uh, successful and productive and all that, that that these activities were and tying that activity into immediate success. But I believe one of the most important, if not the most important thing that we, Protestant, Catholic, evangelical, whatever you are in American society need to remember about the Spirit's work in us is that it witnesses to our fellowship with God. And this may seem like a weird and what does that mean? And that's my point. I'm going to try to explain it to you. One of the most common explanations of what the Spirit does, both in Paul and in Jesus, and one of the things that, that, that uh, Paul and Jesus have the most metaphors for, is that the Spirit of God witnesses in our life our fellowship with God. What is that? And the fact that I'm getting so many funny stares and uh, like what does that mean only reinforces to me that we have an issue with this point. That while we might believe that the Spirit draws, builds, and gifts, we have a, a tough time recognizing what does that mean that it witnesses to our fellowship, our communion with God. So let me give you two passages first. I probably should have given these to Frank, um, but I didn't. I'm sorry. The first one is Ephesians 1. Uh, 1 through 14. Two of the most memorable metaphors for the Spirit have to do with this witnessing and testifying um, to our fellowship with God. 
1, at 1 through 14. And in fact, Paul begins a lot of his letters with this ministry of the Spirit. All right? Um, so, yeah. All right, so uh, one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, you read that and you're just like, all right, yeah, that sounds good. It's like multiple sentences on like a calendar that I can memorize, you know, every morning. And so far, all he's really talked about is the idea that God, through Christ, has gifted us, given us, and he's speaking actually in the past tense in, in most of what he said up to this point. But here's where I want to focus. So what actually gives us that sonship, that adoption? With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So without going too far into this, I think what the most important aspect of this is twofold. One is that in terms of talking about the current and the future, Paul moves away from talking about the Father or the Lord Jesus Christ, and into the Spirit's presence in our life. And maybe more important is this idea that he is the seal guaranteeing all of these promises to be true. Seal, maybe we think in terms of like a letter with that cool like wax that's blood and Mont- County Monte Cristo or something, I don't know. I don't know, maybe that's not what you think of. That's what I think of, all right? But it's not exactly the term he's picking up on here. In fact, because slaves did most of the work in this day and age, what he's actually saying is this seal is in, in very much the same, and Paul used this analogy elsewhere, is the seal of a master who gives his slave or servant or representative the seal of the household so that anybody knows when you're messing with this person, you're messing with the master. When you're representing this person, you're representing the master, so you better represent him in ways that he wants, you, wants to be represented. That you better afford him the same treatment that you uh, afford the master himself. And so God is saying that the Spirit is the seal which guarantees all of these wonderful promises of adoption and sonship uh, in our life. It testifies 
for us to the witness that we are God's. That God is using us, calling us. He's adopted us. He saved us. The Spirit is that seal. <laughs> I'm going to get to a point in a moment about this that might come as a shock, but we'll see. The second passage, 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 22. Again, uh, Paul talks about uh, this at the very beginning as he's trying to explain to the people, hey, listen, salvation's great, God is good, but let's talk about the here and now and what you need to know uh, to actually get this stuff done. So 2 Corinthians 18 through 22, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, wishy-washy. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing it what is to come. Again, the, the, the phrase there that we're going to know that God is true, we're going to know that, that his promises are true because he's guaranteed it by the deposit that he's put in our hearts, the spirit of God. Now I want you to think about this because this is where things get challenging. This is the question I have for you that I want you to really reflect on through this series. Is the con- is constant witness of the spirit proof for you that you're in fellowship with God, or is it something else? Because this is at the key, I think, to what walking in the Spirit ultimately means. Is the Spirit's presence in your life the thing that testifies to you that you are in fellowship with God, or is it something else? And if it is something else, which I think most of us can say it's something else, at least in part, what is that something else? Could be that I go to church a certain amount of times, that I grew up in a Christian family, that I'm in the right denomination, that I'm involved in lots and lots of ministry activity, that I'm a pretty okay person. What is proof to you that you are in fellowship with God? And I'm not trying to get us to think through and be concerned about our salvation. I mean, that. For us Christians, we ought not be concerned about that. The bigger question is, in my mind, when we expect that fellowship flows out of anything other than the Spirit, unfortunately our reward will not be often the presence of God. And it's just like what Jesus talks about when he talks about giving and not doing it in secret, your reward is that someone's going to look on you and think, wow, you're a good giver. Cool. Rather than your reward from heaven. And so, I think what we're working towards in this sermon series is trying to get our body to a place where the Spirit of God, His witness, His activity, communicate to us on a regular basis that we are in fellowship with God. We're in fellowship with them. We don't look to the activity and the relationships and all these other things that we tend to look to to prove that we're actually in fellowship with God. Things that at the end of the day don't actually bring that kind of direct fellowship uh, that I believe uh, we were meant to have. 
because I can have a lot of Christian friends, but if I'm not ready and willing to hear the Spirit's voice in them, then ultimately all I get is their voice and me projecting their voice onto God. But as the Spirit teaches me and trains me on how to really know Jesus, then I can begin to identify the very voice of God and that testifies to me knowing him and being in communion with him. So Spirit testifies to those things. That's a kind of a challenging idea, a very hard idea, um, but uh, I think it's one that, that we just got to figure out. And it's particularly hard because it's not activity-based. The Spirit isn't doing some regular thing in this way, drawing, building, gifts. Those are things that are identifiable. We know we have some training on. But the Scripture talks far more about the Spirit being a deposit or a guarantee of all of these truths in our lives. And if we don't see that as a guarantee, then we're missing something along the way. And we shouldn't have so many in our body and in our ministry uh, questioning so continually whether or not God is speaking or whether or not he's active and having a tough time identifying that. Maybe because we're young, sure. But one of the things we will, I hopefully that we'll grow in at, through this sermon series is that we begin to recognize uh, how to see the Spirit's presence as uh, a witness to our being in fellowship with God. Now, let me make this a little bit less abstract for you. I think this changes three things uh, about our spiritual life, okay? And then I'll end. Number one is prayer becomes a conversation. For those of us who like to pray, profound prayers or whatever, uh, one of the topics that we'll cover later on is that one of the Spirit's major roles uh, in testifying to our sonship is his ability to give us words to say and to express things in ways that we didn't know we were supposed to express. And so prayer becomes this sort of conversation and more so a, a very um, experimental thing in our life to try to commune with God. One of the reasons evangelicals and particularly Protestants uh, see prayer as so insignificant is because they often pray on their own terms, with their own agenda, with their own sort of pre-packaged, pre-packaged prayers, a lot of which are spontaneous or sort of just kind of, you know, whatever. I mean, if you go back and sort of try to figure out, uh, maybe you write down some of the, your normal common prayers and then just maybe put them on paper, it's like, why did I even ask that? What does that mean? I don't think there's any question that we don't know how to pray (laughs) as a people. But one of the major roles of the Spirit is that he intercedes for us and prays things that we need to pray to God. And in doing that, we have communion with God. But prayer then becomes a conversation. We can spend a lot more uh, time in prayer listening uh, and trying to ask the Spirit to sort of speak through us and speak to us. Um, And uh, and that will be much more... uh, uh, helpful in our prayer life than trying to, uh, you know, keep pushing it. One of the reasons prayer also is so difficult for us is because we feel this pressure of not knowing what to say and not wanting to do it. But I think when we open it up as realizing it is the very place that God has given us to converse with him and that the spirit is actively involved in our prayer lives, actively, in fact, that's probably the primary role for us communicating with God, then we begin to realize, oh, okay, wait, this is just a conversation. Something's going to happen here in this conversation. There's an expectation that the Spirit is actually working uh, and thinking uh, with our mind how to communicate to God. And for those of us who have 
uh, developed or are developing a prayer life that really is conversational, um, many of us can say with the kind of certainty, whether now or used to be or whatever, that God very much does speak through his spirit and speaks in those times where we're open to it and ready to listen. And it is a regular occurrence. Now, some of us grew up in an environment where everything that our brains thought uh, miraculously and spontaneously came from the Spirit. And the word there is you need to learn how to discern, okay? Uh, but God speaks all the time through the Spirit in our prayer life if we're only willing to listen. And so prayer becomes a conversation. But more than that, reading the Word becomes a conversation. Because it's certainly not possible to live like Jesus and the Spirit is not going to develop you into a person with the character of Jesus if you don't even know anything about Jesus. How is he going to work? What's, what's he going to do in your mind? Like, just miraculously tell you things about Jesus that you could have just read in the Gospels? No. The cool thing about the Word in accordance with the Spirit of God working is it becomes written on our hearts meaning it gets burned into the deepest places of who we are and becomes just as real as any other things that are written on our hearts. And there are a lot of things written on our hearts. Whether in pencil or what, but these things get burned into our hearts. That sounds painful. Maybe not. Uh, engraved? That's not better. Whatever you want. Brand, br- you went from engraving to branded? No, that's, I'd rather engraved, I think. Anyway, you get the point. That as we read the word, uh, again, the word becomes a conversation in a communion with God. Guys, so much of the reason we don't like reading the word and we don't like prayer is because we address it and go to it as a, a, a us kind of thing. Well, what am I going to pull out of this? You know, what am I going to, and, and we expect that God just sort of left us with this word, the spoken word, and just, just understand it. Guys, the Bible is incredibly complex while at the same time being pretty uh, uh, what's the best way to put it? Easy to understand. It's possible for those two things to, to work. I mean, it tells you what to do, but like anything, applying something and knowing what to do are vastly different, and the Spirit uh, converses with us through our reading of the Word. We talk a lot around here about uh, trying to answer the question when you read the Word of, is, you know, what does this teach me about God's heart? And that's good. That's important. Maybe one other thing you ought to add to that is, is, is as I read here, am I conversing? Am I allowing the Spirit to really let these words sink in and, and am I understanding them? Or is this simply a mental exercise for me? Uh, because devotion at its you know, deepest point is a worshipful experience where we open up our minds and our hearts to allow God to speak to us whatever we need to hear from Him. It's not a checklist. It's not just doing stuff and then memorizing. There's a place for memorization. There's a place for study. Uh, but I, I find most of us, our biggest struggle is with the actual devotional time where we're just letting the Spirit speak whatever the Spirit wants to speak to us and writing the words of God on our hearts. And that's really exciting because it's just a, it's a, it's a conversing time. It's a communion time. And then one of the areas that I think we probably don't tend to see this uh, or understand this a lot is, uh, you know, as we interact with people, the Spirit is helping us see and treat people uh, as God sees and treats people. It's a conversation. 
It is a spiritual conversation as we interact with other people. The Spirit is constantly guiding in a patient and careful way, sometimes through other people and sometimes just through our own minds. It's a communion with God as we interact with and, and treat other people a certain way. The Spirit's speaking. So we've got to kind of take some of these just basic uh, spiritual disciplines, so to speak, and re-imbue them with the spiritual side of things rather than seeing them because otherwise what Christianity becomes is just a code, a bunch of legalistic rules of things that we ought to go do with people. And that sucks the life out of us really, really quickly because it's just activity. It's activity. And when we get to see how many of these activities are fertile ground for the Spirit conversing with us, talking through us, to us, as God's communes and fellowships with us, this just gives it a lot more life. Because rather than seeing this sort of place where God speaks as this kind of narrow, infrequent period of time, we see his ability to speak in every aspect, no matter how mundane of our lives. And that's probably one of the most important things uh, that a lot of us, particularly millennials, need to remember and need to recognize. is just how much the Spirit is interested in uh, the mundane, in those aspects of our life where we are ready and willing to at least listen. We're walking. I mean, you know, we mentioned this at the, uh, the um, or I did at the uh, Young Professional event, but you, you think about these spirit, uh, these spiritual disciplines, uh, or excuse me, the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are all habit-forming type things. You don't just decide one day you're going to be a pretty self-controlled person. You're going to be a pretty gentle person. And you don't have a 10-step book for being gentle. Because if you did, I'd have been gentle like 10 years ago. But I'm still, most on my best day, uh, not really even near gentle. And uh, because the Spirit's working, and it's slow, and it has to do with habits. And how else are we going to change habits unless the Spirit is there in the most mundane, small decisions we make about gentleness? It's just He's there. And we've got to re-envision and re-enliven our understanding of what the Spirit does. And for a lot of us, it's just learning that he does these things. Because for whatever reason in the New Testament, we gloss over almost everything the Spirit does. We just do. And I mean, the New Testament, you can't possibly understand Jesus, but particularly Paul's theology, without the Spirit of God. It's too central. It's not going to happen. All the other stuff just sort of falls flat. But a lot of us have been trained and taught to do that. Why? There's a lot of reasons. It could be, you know, rationalist movement of the 50s and 60s that saw, you know, this whole idea of kind of spiritual forces as really not a great idea. Let's move away from that. And as postmodernism is coming back into uh, or coming into play and people care more about their individual experiences, Pentecostalism is beginning to grow rapidly, but not necessarily for the right reason, although the Pentecostal message to postmodern uh, uh, folks is a lot more, I think, applicable and relevant to many of them than a lot of the old mainstream uh, and mainline Protestant churches, which have to do a whole lot more with study and just work it, work it out. Do it. Do what you need to do. So we have a unique opportunity, I think, to rethink this and to come up with maybe a new theology of the Spirit, uh, which I think is very much related, by the way, to the theology of, of work and vocation. Because it's often in our work and in our vocation that we most miss God's work uh, and his calling for us to do the things that we're doing. 
All right, uh, so there's my one-point sermon that took 50 minutes. Um, the sermon topics, I don't know if we, I think I haven't posted these yet on um, Facebook, but Leslie and I will post the sermon topics for the rest of the series. And uh, if there are things that you have that you want to include or add uh, or um, maybe particular questions you have within the sermon titles, please feel free to uh, message us or comment on the Facebook page. I think it's very important for us um, to try to answer some of your questions and move in the direction that you feel like um, we ought to and or the Spirit is leading you uh, to. And even if you just have a testimony or something to share, uh, our worship team um, uh, will start meeting here in the next week or two, and we're going to start coming up with activities. uh, And if you want to be a part of that team, just kind of look for the, uh, the schedule, the announcement in the next two weeks on the Facebook page, and we're going to be looking for some opportunities to, to make these uh, much more participative. Any questions before I, uh, before I end? All right, I'm going to say a prayer for our communion, and for those of you who uh, haven't taken uh, communion with us, it's going to be rowdy uh, because we're noisy. We like to celebrate what God has done for us, and one of the best ways to celebrate, I know how because I'm not that sophisticated, is just being loud. Um, so we're going to do that, and there is bread and juice, and you dip the bread into the juice, uh, and uh, yeah, great. So uh, I don't know what, we, what side we did last week. Who cares? Life is not fair. Um, I'm doing this side. Doesn't matter. Uh, it's just the easiest side, left or right. It's America. Um, so this side first, and, uh, and then you guys will humbly be uh, the second, which in reality is first. Uh, so, all right, let's say a prayer for our uh, communion. Lord God, you are mysterious to us, and there are a lot of things that in our uh, narrow perspectives of being human and being immersed in a specific culture that we just don't get and understand. And I'm asking you that you make sense of the Spirit to us. We don't always understand how he works and what he's doing, but we know we want to experience you. And we know the early Christians seem to experience you in ways uh, that we don't seem to be able to um, experience. And maybe some of those things were for a time period, and and if that's true, uh, let us know that and, and manage our expectations. But God, we want you to be present in our lives. Uh, And more than just our feelings, we want to uh, sense you in the way that we're growing, in the way that we treat people. Uh, We need you to communicate to us how you want us to pray and how to just be better listeners to the words that you have. Uh, We want you to bring us together in unity as only your spirit can do. Lord, we just want more of you. There's so much in life that uh, we can't handle and that's just not near as sweet as having um, a sense of your presence and, uh, and knowing that you're in control of those things. So Lord, help us to pursue your spirit in um, the easy times and the times that we're joyful and the times that are difficult when we're sad. Um, just pray that you would pour out your spirit Um, among us and uh, that we would pay attention to his working. Pray a special prayer 
for those in Houston and the surrounding areas, Victoria, um, who are going through hell right now. And just ask that as you, as we've seen already, um, you pour out your spirit on them, uh, that you would gift people to minister to them and uh, that they would have resources and, and that you would pull us in uh, as a church and community in whatever way you see fit uh, and that we would just uh, follow you in that. Jesus, thank you so much for freeing us uh, to walk by the Spirit um, and, uh, and not to live in accordance with all these rule books and code books, but to be freed to live a life that's really full and meaningful uh, and in your service. And we just honor you and celebrate that now. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.